This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Will my dog be in heaven? Or, or how about my cat? Or, or, or what about my leopard gecko? I mean, come on, let's just be serious here. Let's, let's focus on this. This is the question we're going to talk about today on the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad you've come along for this. The More to the Story podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we right now just have a few weeks left where we're offering free seminary for the fall semester. Wesley Biblical is the most diverse seminary in the country, and it's rooted in the Wesleyan holiness tradition with a commitment to scripture and to the doctrine and experience of entire sanctification. So check out wbs.edu. Secondly, we're also brought to you by WPO Development. WPO is a development firm, and their CEO, Keith Water, says this, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. Isn't that true? And what Keith and his team does, they have uh, offices all over the country. They come alongside nonprofits and churches and help them develop a plan for how they can actualize a capital campaign, capital campaign, a feasibility study, and mission planning studies. So check them out at wpodevelopment.com, or you can just Google them for more information. But what about this question? Will my dog be in heaven This is certainly something that we need to think about, and it challenges some of the assumptions that we might have about what heaven is. The challenge is this, is that we have dealt with what I call a shorthand of heaven. We have taken the eternal reality that has been declared by the church, the consensual tradition of the church for centuries, and kind of brought it down into a much smaller understanding of what heaven is. So often we talk about heaven as if it's just a place that's out next to Mars somewhere or just kind of some ethereal existence. One way we talk about it is what I call the I can only imagine view of heaven. I can only imagine. Isn't it a great song? I mean, I can, I can start singing it right now. I think we, we could all sing it together. But the challenge with this I can only imagine theology, and this is, this is kind of what I was brought up on, and this is no, uh, I'm not trying to shame anybody who I was educated and discipled by, but generally this was the way heaven was talked about in the churches that I grew up in. Just trust us. It's going to be really good. Just imagine. Just only imagine, right? And one of the images that I took from this idea of this kind of ethereal song, it's very moving, is that I shouldn't imagine. I shouldn't think about it because it's just kind of out there, surrounded by your beauty, only I, all these type of kind of interesting things. And it misses kind of the tangibility of the eternal reality that scripture talks about. So here's what happens, a shorthand version of what what we have. When we talk about heaven, generally what we're saying is we're talking about a two-stage reality. And we've conflated them into one thing because it's easier to say. That is just kind of like a, um, okay, we go to heaven when we die. Well, really, when we talk about this, there's like two levels of heaven, so to speak, or two levels of eternal separation from God as well. So heaven level one, this is kind of like the intermediate state. This is where we go before Jesus returns and there's a resurrection of all bodies. Now, that's how what we refer to from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or the thief who died on the cross next to Jesus, that's where he's talking about with paradise, kind of like this eternal dwelling, not eternal, this kind of temporary dwelling for our non-physical aspects of who we are or our souls. So this is why it's important for us to affirm the existence of a soul. So if we're separated from the body, we are present with the Lord. And so the idea there is like that first stage 
is being present with Jesus, where Jesus's body is now. Okay, now after that, this is like, that's only, we generally just talk about that as if that's the eternal reality. But really, the full picture of heaven is of a new heavens and a new earth. I'm going to talk about this in the next podcast. And then we're also going to deal with this interesting question later. Will heaven be boring, right? But, 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 but back to our question here. I mean, you're really interested in what's happening to Fido or, or Scruppy or whatever your dog's name is. Or your cat, too. I'm not leaving the cats out, too. Or, so even though I'm allergic to cats. And that's probably why I haven't talked about this very much in the past. So back to this shorthand. So we have this eternal reality where there will be a resurrection of all bodies. There will be a general judgment at the end of the world. And this is what's talked about in all throughout Scripture with the new heavens and a new earth that we're all longing for. This is a renewed creation, a restored creation. So when we think about this, this might give us a little better picture for how to think about this eternal reality. So think about it. Remember, we have two, two stages. There's kind of like the intermediate stage. And then there's the eternal state where all of our deepest desires will be fulfilled. C.S. Lewis says, um, and it's, this is kind of alluded to in Mere Christianity and his chapter on hope, saying we can only hope for what we desire. You hear that? We can only hope for what we desire, meaning God has put desires within us and maybe even to spend time petting your, your dog, right? <laughs> or that we can only have fulfilled in the eschaton. The eschaton is like how we refer to this eternal state, the eternal happiness in the Salvation Army, my denomination, we call it the eternal happiness of the righteous. Now, there's an interesting quote that I found from Will Rogers. He said this, and this kind of conveys a lot, lot of how we describe this, and also this idea we have about desire. He says this, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went. If there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went, right? Now, there's some good there. He's kind of assuming that there is a place, kind of a reality that they're experiencing. And I think that leads us to a place where maybe, maybe we share in that same desire. So I just want to take a quick look at some, uh, some scriptural accounts of the nature of animals. And I think that will give us a fuller understanding of how we can answer that question. So I'm sorry I can't just say yes or no, but I think you'll get the answer by the end of this session. So, for instance, in the very beginning, animals are created of the same substance that humans are. In Genesis 2.19, they're made from the ground. Secondly, they are also described to have a breath of life in them. Now, this could be translated, and some of my Old Testament scholar friends might have more nuances to describe here, but the word nephish is used. And if you had, I don't often use kind of Greek and Hebrew words here for us, but if you had to know just five or six Hebrew words. I think nephish would be an important word that help you understand this kind of living life force that exists in people. Now, did you know that all throughout Christian history, generally, it has been the view that animals have souls. Now, this seems pretty foreign to us, and I think it's as a result of the Enlightenment, right? Remember, Descartes comes along and says, I think, therefore, I, I think, therefore, I am. Like, the center of reality gets focused in the individual. Now, this is different than, of course, Gary Habermas and J.P. Moreland have helped me understand this in their book on the nature of the soul. And some of you might know Gary Habermas is the one who's really helped 
scholarship or even just Christianity in general, and, and really the scientific community, understand the nature of near-death experiences, which of course is very much related to the existence of the soul or some non-physical aspect of the world. But they say this, that throughout the history of the church, the classic understanding of living things has included the doctrine that animals, as well as humans, have souls. Now, it's interesting and important for us to realize is that animals and humans are different. Now, we might not always get that in our society, but of course, humans are given dominion or kind of a ruling authority over animals. So Genesis 1.26 says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans are given a stewardship over the animal kingdom. And mankind, as we see here, is separate, distinct, in that we are created in God's image. Now, Fast forward a little bit from there to Noah's account. What happens in Noah's interesting here. It's not just the humans that are saved, right? But also all of the animals, uh, two of every kind, come into the boat with animals, uh, with Noah. <laughs> He's not an animal. You get the idea. Then, of course, all throughout Scripture, we have many accounts of animals being provided ethical treatment, that there are ethical considerations that should be directed towards animals. John Wesley talks about this in his sermon, The General Deliverance. He lays out a few clear facts, and this kind of helped me looking at this old sermon that's over 300 years old, helped me think about this, that animals have self-motivation, understanding. Now, I'm very tempted to give illustrations to all these facts with uh, the self-motivation that existed in my dog as a boy, Scruppy, but I'll stay away from that, okay? Uh, they have understanding, they have will, liberty, passions, and the power of choice. But what has happened, what John Wesley identifies as the problem of vanity, or kind of the, he calls it vanity, we wouldn't use that word now, but kind of the impact of the fall is that Animals and humans have been put at times at odds. So we don't just jump into uh, the, the lion's den at the zoo. Not that there's a lion's den, the lion's cage, right? There is a difference. And so the, the way that the world was created has been impacted by the fall. And I don't think, like this is kind of like a big philosophical question, I don't think we can fully understand the ways that creation has been impacted by the fall but it is substantial. I even go as far as to think that it affects natural evil, not just moral evil, like what happens between like when one human does something evil towards another human based upon their own free will, but even the way that the universe is structured. So our understanding here is that this created order that has experienced this vanity or the fall will all be restored. Now, there's this interesting place, and there's a Greek word that's used to describe the way that creation will experience this. And this word is palingencina. And this word means Genesis again, or a, a new creation. And this is alluded to, this type of idea, in passages like Romans 8 that says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
Now, fast forwarding again, there's some other passages. I haven't talked about every animal passage in the Bible, but passages in Revelation talk about living creatures experiencing this eternal reality with, in, the, in the resurrection of the body. So, for instance, in Revelations 4, 8 and 9, it says, Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, verse 9 is interesting because who says that? Whenever the living creatures, and that word is zoon, which could mean beast. Like, it's the beast. It's the animals. Now, isn't it crazy? Now, we do know, too, from Genesis, the Genesis account of the fall, that the serpent talked. Now, I don't, I don't know if, like, before the fall, if all animals could talk. I can't describe that. Um, certainly, there are occasions in Scripture with Balaam's donkey where Balaam's donkey talked. Like, there is this idea that it's possible that before the fall, animals, like, could speak. And certainly here in the new creation, is it possible to think that animals are the ones declaring the praise of God? Now, I want to just hit back to um, go back in Scripture to Isaiah. Now, all throughout Scripture in the eschatological poetry, the poetry that talks about the end of time and the renewal of all things, so often those, those Scriptures and that poetry points to animals. So, for instance, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, you'll recognize some of this. The wolf will lie down, oh, sorry, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that beautiful imagery? Now you could say, oh, that was just meant to be applied in a literary way, Andy, stop it. Well, I just think these themes are so consistent through scripture. And as God chose to reveal himself through the scripture of the Old New Testament, so often when he does so, he uses the authors of scripture to talk about animals in that time. Now, John Wesley talks about this too. And I don't, quote John Wesley here because John Wesley is scripture, but I think he had some unique insight on this, and it was important in my tradition, not just in the Wesleyan tradition, but this exact sermon was quoted by Catherine Booth. She talked about this in letters on a regular basis about the importance of animals. I just wanted to highlight this for you. I think you know where I'm going if I'm going to answer a yes or no question, but I'm going to, I will answer that ultimately at the end. So John Wesley says again in that sermon, the general deliverance, the whole brute creation will then undoubtedly be restored, not only to the vigorous strength and swiftness with which they had at their creation, but to a far higher degree of each than they ever enjoyed. Do you get that? I mean, he's saying that they will experience something that they haven't even experienced now in the new creation. He goes on, whatever affections they had in the garden of God will be restored, not just to the place of the garden, but then he adds this, with vast increase being exalted and refined in a manner which we ourselves are not now able to comprehend. Oh, man. And just think of that. Like the animals will experience more than they're ever able to understand, or we can even understand at this point. I mean, this, just think about like what we know about some animals, like their ability to communicate, like dolphins, whales, 
Of course, I already mentioned Balaam's donkey. Elephants, often showing remorse and sorrow. That's just a, a hint, a slice of what might be an eternal reality for them. So, like, let's just think about a few key acts in history. Like, what is it that surrounds these acts? When Adam was created, God surrounded him with animals. When Noah was delivered from the flood, God surrounded him with animals. When Jesus was born, it seems like God surrounded him with animals. When Jesus establishes the renewed earth, a new heavens and a new earth with resurrected men and women, it doesn't seem unlikely that the renewal of all things will include animals. I can't say with 100% definition that I know the mind of God on this, but I know that these desires that have been put within us and the nature of how God has created the world leads us to a place of thinking it just might be that this desire we have to be connected to Fido, the desire we have, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good cat name, whatever that would be, that God has put that desire in us. And look, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to access this, to be a part of this new creation. And this comes when we come into God's kingdom, when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ that he died for our sins, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is available for us now. We participate in that kingdom. We even get a taste of it now. But ultimately, like I want you to be there, to put your hand in a viper's hole. I don't know. To be able to be there when a lion lies down with a lamb and to experience all that God has for us. And this, just closing with this from Revelation 5, 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, sounds like animals to me, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It's Revelation 5, 13. So there's more to the story, more to the story than our experiences right now, that God has more for us in the new heavens and new earth. Thanks for checking out the Captain's, oh, I almost called my old podcast name. Thanks for checking out the More to Story podcast. Would you leave a like or send this to a friend maybe who needs this type of encouragement right now? God bless you.